Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. If you follow your passion, that says the minute something goes wrong, the minute it gets hard, the minute you screw up, well, I guess it must not be your passion because if you followed your passion, you'd be in bliss by now. Mm. I think instead, like invest in your passion because your passion is going to knock you down and pick you up and throw you around and gut you and maybe gut your bank account while you try to figure it out. But I think your passion deserves that. So if, you know, find the thing that gives you momentum, that gives you energy, that you love, that if you were choosing to spend your time doing something, you choose to spend your time doing that thing. Because, you know, we get all this like hustle porn, ridiculous, like crush it. But I think the truth is, is that when you do something that's a hell yes, instead Mm -hmm. of a hell no, right? Yeah. Then it turns out you end up crushing it anyway because you're so excited about it that you're willing to fall down and get up and fall down and get up and perfect your passion and not just follow it. Welcome to the Nice Podcast. I'm Dave Delaney, your host, and today I've got an amazing person on the show that I'm excited to share with you, Laura Gazanerer-Otting. She's known as LGO by her friends. Um, she might have actually the my favorite LinkedIn headline. It reads, Washington Post bestselling author, keynote speaker, media personality, executive coach, and, Ray, ready, a kick in the ass wrapped in a warm hug. LGO is such a good example of someone who practices what she preaches. She's the author of Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And we're going to speak about this and so much more in the show today. Hey, if you have questions or comments, please use the links in the show description to reach out. It's always amazing to hear from you. I'm Dave Delaney on all the social networks, and you can find Laura at HeyLGO. I began the show by asking, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you lately? Every year for the last 10 years, my family and I, my husband and my two kids have had a tradition to go to a very fancy restaurant in Boston where I live Mm. and do like a 10 course tasting menu, you know, the whole, the whole nine. The place is called Number Nine Park because it's at Number Nine Park Street, but the whole nine. Yeah. And we started off going at like the 5 p.m. reservation because like who wants, you know, an eight-year-old at your table next to you on things on, on New Year's Eve? Not <laughs> me. So we started going at the 5 o'clock and we were like in, out, done by like 6.45. We were like, you know, done. Um and as my kids have gotten older, they, we've started going to the later seating, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And this year, obviously – we weren't able to do it. And, you know, this restaurant has watched our kids grow up. They – every time – every year we walk in, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe how tall you got, all of that. Yeah. And it was – I was kind of sad about it because I've always said to my kids, like, New Year's Eve, that that's our command performance. You can go out with your friends after we're done at the restaurant by 11 o'clock at the very, 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 very latest. Go find your friends at a party. Who cares? But that's always going to be the thing. You're always going to be on break. You're always like you can bring your significant others. But, you know, this is what we do. And this year I was kind of bummed about the fact that we weren't going to get to do it. And my 16-year-old said, but, you know, mom, we can just make our own. And so we spent two days. We made our own tasting menu, very complicated, beautiful, gourmet dishes, perfect presentation, the whole thing. Yeah. And we had the dinner and we, we, my husband loves to make craft cocktails. So we sent him not the menu, but like, you know, sort of like what the flavors would be. And, um, this is where I'm going to get in trouble with DSS, but like, you know, we gave our kids some cocktails, but they're all in the house. They're 16 and they're 18, you know, yeah. like they drank with their friends, I'm sure. Um, yeah. and so I would say the most, the nicest thing anyone's ever, the, that, that has done for me lately is that my family, 
was present for me in my sadness about missing this moment, this tradition, and also present for me in making this new one. So like next year, I can't wait to go back to the restaurant because that was hard work. But I will like, we, you know, my, my younger son printed out beautiful menus. We named all oh, the dishes. Great. My husband made these cocktails. It was just incredible. And I will always remember this time of having this great night where we laughed so hard. I felt like I was going to break a rib crying. I mean, it was just, it was such a beautiful experience. And so I think the nicest thing somebody's done for me lately is just be present. For me. I love that. And I love, oh, I, I mean, I just, yeah, that, that's amazing. If I had done that, my kids are so picky. It would have, it would have completely failed. I, I give them a couple more years, hopefully, and they'll, they st- they'll start to, actually, my daughter's better. She's, well, she'll if you give she, them the cocktails. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> good Get tip. Your kids drunk. They'll eat anything. That's a good tip right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, but also you made a point about, uh, about presents. Like about being present. And, and this is something interesting. Like I've, um, you know, I've, I've been, I started seeing a therapist. I have on and off over, over the years, but started seeing someone, um, you know, somewhat recently, virtually, of course. And, um, she made a really good point to me and something that stood out about, um, about how when you think and of course this applies at different levels for different people. But for me, when I reflect on the past, um, that kind of triggers more of a, a depression, not a clinical depression necessarily, but a, a feeling of depression. And when I think about the future, I, I start to think about, I, I start to feel anxiety about the future. And, and I, what I've learned through this is that being present is the best way to be nice to myself. It's the best way to be, be, good to myself is to focus. That doesn't mean, I mean, I run a business obviously, so I am planning and and all these things, but, uh, I I find focusing on, on the present, uh, can be, can be really helpful for, for just about anyone. What what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. So, you know, as you know, um, before writing Limitless and becoming a speaker and on the speaking circuit where you and I, you know, had the, had the, the, the chance to meet. Yeah. I spent 20 years uh, as a headhunter and um, five years before that in politics. And I used to watch politicians connecting, like really connecting to voters. And I just thought it was some people are born with charisma and some people aren't. And there is some of that. But I think a huge part of why people think someone else is charismatic is because they listen. And when I became a headhunter, I remember about six to eight months into the job, I was um, walking back into the office from interviewing somebody at some coffee shop, and I saw one of the senior partners of the firm, and she looked like somebody had just like run over her dog with the truck or something. I was just like, are you are you okay? Like she mm. just looked gutted. And she said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I've just been listening all day. And I remember I was 25, 26 years old, and I remember thinking to myself, Pfft. Whatever, listening all day, like that's hard. And then I learned how to listen. Yes. How to actually really be there to give somebody space and time to finish a thought, to wait a minute, to let them keep talking and to say the thing that they might not have said otherwise, not to jump in needing to, to, to say the thing I've been waiting to say, but actually thinking about their, their, their response and then responding and adding and augmenting and evolving the conversation with them. And that I think is such a huge piece of presence and it's such a huge piece of leadership. And yeah, it is self-care. Like actually being with somebody where they are is so – it's exhausting in one way because you're really listening, but it's so much less exhausting in the other because you don't feel like you're like, you know, paddling fast under the surface. Like how do I keep impressing them? How do I keep, you know, looking smart? How do I keep, you know, being the person that they expect me to be? But you actually be there for them and that's – that's really the root of leadership and the root of charisma and the root of being nice, I think, is just being able to sit with somebody where they are, meet them where they are, listen where they are, and just be present. And, you know, that's why therapists are great. That's why psychologists, psychiatrists are great, because you do have this hour where they're just there for you. And, you know, I also started seeing somebody um, during this pandemic. And, you know, I've never, I've never had, well, I had like a 15 minutes of therapy once when I was in college, which is a whole other ugly story. But, mm. um, but, but the, um, 
uh, I went to go see somebody and the first thing the psychiatrist said was, wow, you're going to be 50. You made it 50 years without therapy. Congratulations. And I was like, <laughs> really? Like, should you be congratulating me? Maybe we all need, it. but I did, I've never done it because it felt seriously self-indulgent and I, I, and, and selfish and, and, you know, just really narcissistic. And then, you know, I was talking to my husband, like, I just feel spoiled. And he looked at me and he's like, you are spoiled. You're a privileged, you know, straight white lady who lives in a fancy suburb. Like, yeah. go be spoiled. Like, you haven't slept since March. Go be spoiled for once in your life. And so I went to go talk to this person and I left there feeling like buoyant, feeling mm. elated. And it wasn't because there was anything in particular he said to me. In fact, he said some things to me that I was like, hmm, I got to think on that. <laughs> That's a rough <laughs> truth. But because I just felt so seen. I felt so heard and I just felt like there was somebody who, who, who was, who was there with me for me and helping me like, you know, like what's that Ram Das line? Like we're all just walking each other home. Mm. I felt like that was what happened. That's great. Yeah. I remember I used to, uh, I used to run some networking events, uh, here in Nashville and, and a couple unconferences over the years. And, um, and of course, by being a speaker, I attended a lot of conferences and things too, and hopefully will be again before too long. Praise be. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and I had a, a woman attend one of my events and she pulled me aside and she, and she was, you know, she was a regular and she said, you know why I keep coming to these events and not to toot my own horn here, but she, she pulled me aside and she said, Dave, it's because you make me feel like the only person in the room when I'm talking with you. Yes. And that, like, again, not to toot my horn, but that is really the goal in, in speaking with people. And it's something I speak a lot about in, in my talks about communication. I included something in my book, um, about an acronym. Well, a couple of things. Like, actually, I was just talking to my son about this yesterday. My son is sort of a, he, 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 uh, identifies, I guess, as more introverted, um, like my wife. And he, he always feels awkward having to like talk to people. And I told him, Sam, the best way to handle this is just to ask the questions, ask open-ended questions and let the person do the bulk of the talking. And he started doing this. And, th and then everyone's always like, Oh, Sam's such a polite young man and all these things. But, uh, but he's like, this is so much easier because I don't have to be the one talking. Like it works perfectly. And so, you know, I was talking to him the other day or just yesterday about this, about how, um, uh, silent is an anagram for listen, like mix up those letters mm. and it's the same word or it's crazy or not the same word, but it's listen and silent. Um, and so I go, I go through in my, in my talks and, and some of the stuff that I write about, I, I go through listen as an acronym and what those stand for, what those letters stand for in, in improving the way you listen. But I think what you're saying is, is so key to all of this. So, yeah, and yeah. for, you know, the introverts who are out there and for Sam, as an introvert myself, I always say like a good offense is the best defense, right? Right. So it's like, right. Right. I mean, like, I, I right, strike first, have no mercy. <laughs> I come out there and I just start asking questions and I follow up and, you know, and it's funny because people, people never believe that I'm an introvert when I tell them this. And, um, you know, fellow introverts will recognize it, but extroverts are always, oh, you're not way pro tip. If you're an extrovert, don't tell them that they're not an introvert. Like that actually feels so diminishing. <laughs> Oh yeah. It's really terrible. But, um, but here's what I do. I share on social media. I share on stage. I share in my writing and my blogs and my newsletters and my books a hundred percent of about 40% of my life. I'm mm. very specific about what is public. And then there are things that I keep private. Like my husband's a very private person. He's not all over my social media. My kids, I ask them if I can post a photo of them before I do it. Mm -hmm. I put out a newsletter uh, just last week about a struggle I had with an eating disorder in college. And it was a really gruesome and personal story. But I share the, you know, it's the Brene Brown thing. People don't want to see the wound. They want to see the, the scar. Like yeah. it's already healed. It's already scarred over. I don't share the wounds that I have right now, but I'll share the scars from the past. And so if you're an introvert, a really good way of your networking to, to, to husband your energy and to show up in a way that's authentic and real is just to know that there are parts of you that you can share and it's totally okay to keep the other parts separate. And until you figure that out, you just ask questions 
And, you know, a good, a good way to think about, is it a wound or is it a scar is do I, can I talk about this in a non-emotional way? And if you can talk about something in a non-emotional way, then it's a scar. It's fine. But if it's still something that is emotional to you, then, you know, you don't owe that to anybody. Mm -hmm. You don't know anybody anything you could just just ask more questions everybody's favorite topic of conversation is themselves anyway so you ask more questions people think you're a great conversationalist <laughs> it's true actually I, I i use that as an example when, when i talk about this stuff is i say um you know have you ever met someone at a, at a conference or a networking event or something or a mixer or whatever and you're like man i really like that woman that i met tonight she was just great um Oh, what was her name? Oh, I can't remember her name, but she worked. Oh, I, where did she work? I don't remember what she did for a living. <laughs> and then you realize like you, you don't remember too much about her. Maybe hopefully you got a card um, so you can follow up. But, uh, but at that point you realize like, oh, you don't know that much about her, but you feel like you really liked her. And it, the reason why is because she asked you all the questions. You did all the talking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So to your point, yes, yeah. people love to talk about <laughs> I used themselves. To ask Absolutely. I used to ask, uh, I used to ask clients all the time after a candidate would sit for an interview. I'm like, how'd the interview go? And if the client said it was great, I'd be like, okay, uh -huh. you clearly didn't ask them many questions. <laughs> you think it was great because you talked all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you met, you mentioned, uh, Brene Brown, who I'm, I'm a big fan of as well. Um, love, love, love her work. Um, and I noticed in your book, um, Limitless, which is just such a fantastic book, by the way. I loved it. Thank you. Um, and so did Heather, my wife. Um, uh, in the book, you mentioned how Dolly Parton is your own, uh, personal life coach who you haven't met yet. Yet. I'm going to add yet. Yes. Dolly, yet. Dolly, call me, girl. I know you're in Tennessee. Can't you find her? I know. I can, I can make some calls. So, and I, and Brene Brown, I don't know. Did you hear the interview she did with Dolly Parton recently? I didn't. Oh, it's good. It's really good. Oh, I got to hear it. And I just you can tell. the Dolly documentary. I loved it. Yeah. You, and you can tell like Brene Brown is smitten. Like in the interview, she's just elated in, in, in being, you know, being able to interview the Dolly Parton. Um, oh and, and Dolly had so many good things to share. I love Dolly on my own level and I'll share that, but I'm curious, like, you know, some of it, it's kind of almost a dumb question, but it's, but so what makes her your personal life coach? Uh, well, so Dolly has this line where she says, figure out who you are and do it on purpose. And I just think that's so cool. Like so much of, so many of us spend so much time trying to figure out who we are and who we want to be in this world. And then once we do, we're embarrassed about that person. We're embarrassed about like, will I be accepted? Will people like me? Is it good enough? And I just, Gosh, I mean, can you think of anybody who's figured out who she is and does it on purpose better than Dolly Parton? Like, if Dolly Parton went to sing an aria at the Met, she mm. wouldn't fit, right? Yeah. But Dolly Parton doing her thing with her, like, you know, play, like, in the documentary, she actually starts playing rhythm on her fake nails. She's just like, that's cool. It is. Un that wasn't really good rhythm. They don't really have really good <laughs> nails because mine aren't acrylic, but like, the wigs and the make, all of it. And she's just so her and she's in consonance. So my book, it, it, it circles around this idea of consonance, which, um, for people who haven't read it, you know, I spent, I spent 20 years interviewing thousands of leaders and these were people, my clients asked me to find the most impressive, the most, uh, successful, the most bold faced names and call them and recruit them to come work for them. So my job was to call like super successful people and, 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 and that's what I did. And here's what I learned. It's actually not that hard because even though they were super successful, they all took my calls because despite all that success, they were, weren't very happy and they were looking for the next job, the next promotion, the next title, the next organization, the next whatever pedigree, because we've been taught in this world that happiness is with the next big purchase, the next, you know, promotion, the next, the next, the next. And what I saw was that there were just like a handful of people who had both success and happiness. And those were the ones who, you know, what they did matched who they were in their core. And Dolly, what she does matches who she is. This is her. This isn't some like fake person she puts on. Like, you know, she understands how to play the game and to do the marketing and to like, oh, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap and like all the funny little bomb <laughs> yeah. lots. But it's, it's, she's always been Dolly. It's not like she created this character when she was 35. Like she came, you know, uh, you know, off the, 
farm to, to Nashville when she was like 10 or something. I mean, it's, she's always been this person and she, she knows who she is and she lives in that. So she's so in consonance. There's so much alignment and flow that you can't help but love her. Even if you don't like the musical style, you can't help but, but, but look at her and see her and find joy when she's there. Yeah. And I love, yeah, I love how she's just like, I know authentic. That word is so overused these days, almost cliched. Well, it's overused by people who aren't authentic. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Um, but you're absolutely, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, Dolly is, is completely like herself and, and, you know, living in Tennessee, living in Nashville, um, you know, a number of years ago, there were some, uh, uh, fires in, in Gatlinburg and Sevierville where she grew up. And, you know, there's some pretty, pretty bad fires and a lot of people lost their homes and she actually, and I, I can't remember the specifics, so don't quote me on this, but, but she basically cut a check for a thousand dollars per family until their homes were rebuilt. Yeah. Dolly pays faster than the government. No doubt. Money. No doubt. And <laughs> well, she, and, and she teaches our kids to read. And, 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 and she funded a million dollars into COVID research. <laughs> I mean, like Dolly is like, can we just, can we just give her a sainthood already? I mean, she's just, she's just, she's just fantastic. And, you know, and she's somebody who she is present. I mean, like that conversation with Brene, I'm sure was amazing because mm. she wasn't doing 15 other things. Like she was just there. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm so, I'm so injured. Do you know that she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You on the same night? I mean, what? I didn't know that. Is that the, like, like that has to go down in history as one of the most prolific nights in songwriting ever. But she's just like, she's, she's, and, and here's the other thing about her. She married a man when she was like, I don't know, 18 or something. And they've been married for donkey's years. Like they are still married. Do you ever see him? Nobody ever sees him <laughs> ever. And it's because he's a private person yeah. and she respects that. And so she gives a hundred percent of a certain part of her life and the rest of it, she keeps private. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I, I've got to watch the documentary. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. And you talk, so you talked a little bit about consonants, which is a key part of your book. It's really what it's about. These four elements of consonants and, and they are calling connection, contribution and control. And I want to dig into these, um, maybe a little bit for our listeners and for the nice makers out there. Let's, can we, can you break them down a little for me? Like calling, um, uh, uh, I know where you're going to go with it, but, uh, but in a sense, it's, it's funny because you, when you were a headhunter, you were talking about being bold and actually calling people, <laughs> you know, call, <laughs> calling candidates. It's almost ran, but that actually kind of fits in a weird way. But, but go ahead and yeah, share, share a little bit about these, these different elements. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you like a little quickie on all four and then we can, we can go into whichever ones you want. Um, so calling connection, contribution, and control are the four elements that make up consonants. And consonants is it, you don't have to have all four at the maximum of each of these, but you'll have to have a little bit of, of each at some point. So calling, calling is a gravitational force. The thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, it's like a business you want to build, a podcast that you want to grow, um, a, a, a bottom line you want to nurture, a cause you want to serve, a family that, that you love, right? That you, that you want to raise. It's just, it is your thing. And, you know, it, we get, we get, uh, stuck with this idea of calling because we think calling has to be our purpose and we think purpose has to be preceded by the word lofty or higher. Like, mm. Oh, it has to be a lofty. Like if you're not literally taking the shirt off your back and giving it to poor kids in Haiti, you don't have any purpose. So you don't have a calling. And I guess you're just pushing papers. And the truth is, if you want to give your kids to your, your shirt to poor kids in Haiti, great. Awesome. If you want to cure cancer, great. Awesome. But if you are working a, a job that maybe you don't love, 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 but Mm -hmm. it's giving you the financial flexibility and security that your family can make decisions that are not based in how do I get out of debt in the way that you had to, that can be your calling. If your calling is by getting a Maserati in a beach house, that can be your calling too. Like I, the, the, the whole purpose judgment thing is, is ridiculous. So your calling is just your calling. And that means you got to just stop giving votes in your life to people who shouldn't have voices. So that's calling. 
The second is connection. And connection answers the question, what if you didn't show up to work today? Mm. Would anybody notice? Would anybody care? Like you didn't flip on your Zoom? You know, does it matter? Does the work you're doing connect Mm. to the calling you want to serve? And then the third is contribution. And if connection is really about the work, contribution is really about you. So the idea here is that your work should contribute something to your life, but what? Do you want you know, is it contributing the the kind of career trajectory you're looking for? Is it giving you the kind of money to have the lifestyle that you want? Is it allowing you to manifest your values on a daily basis? Is it contributing to your life? And then the last is um, is control. And the idea behind control is do you have personal agency to affect how much money you make, what teams you're assigned to, the way that bonuses is assigned, when you get your promotion, what hours you work, if you're able to work from home, do you have control over, you know, the way that you're able to be, uh, to get your annual review and the metrics by which you're judged, et cetera. Do you have control to make sure that your work connects to your calling and that it contributes to your life? And so at every age and at every life stage, we're going to want and need different amounts of these in, 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 you know, in each of these four things. So when I was 21 years old and dropping out of law school and joining a presidential campaign, I had all the calling in the world. I was so, you know, excited by this charismatic, you know, governor from Arkansas that I, I, I couldn't see straight. But I was getting the coffee for the guy who got the coffee for the guy who got the coffee. So clearly my work didn't connect at all. Did I have contribution? I mean, I was getting paid in all the ramen soup I could eat and all the idealism I can stand, but like, right. <laughs> you know, not exactly money. And yet, if he won, maybe there was an opportunity for a pretty interesting career trajectory. Mm. And then in terms of control, I had zero, but it didn't matter. Now, you know, as we discussed, we're parents of teenagers, we're entrepreneurs, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to survive this pandemic. So for me, it's much more important now to have control. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing work that's not connecting to my calling of building, you know, my speaking business. Does it contribute to my life? Well, there's certain clients I'll take, there's certain clients I won't take. I mean, I'm not going to get on stage and go empower an audience full of people to go out and do something that I think isn't good in the world. But I get to make those choices now. And so my rubric of consonants at 49 is different than my rubric of consonants at 29 and will be different than my, you know, my rubric of consonants when I'm, you know, 79. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. So, you know, at 25, you said you, you joined the, the Bill Clinton uh, campaign, right? You said? Uh, no, I was 21. 21, I, excuse I me. I dropped out of, I, I went to, graduated early from college, mm. went to law school pretty quickly and then very uh, very quickly decided that it was a huge mistake <laughs> and that I didn't belong there but even the fact that you 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 did something that is ra- rather ambitious in, in both ways i mean law school is an ambitious thing for most people anyone really and and to to uh to go ahead and, and choose like, okay, well, you know, I'm 48. So we were probably watching Arsenio Hall and seeing, you know, the, the shades wearing saxophone playing Clinton at That's the same sure. time. And we're like, this guy's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I would have dropped it off, right? Like at, at, at 21, I was probably just drinking with friends for most of that decade. So, um, so how does someone, you know, how do nice makers listening find, like, how do they zero in on their calling? It sounds like you, you kind of crystallized a calling and, and, and went full on. And I know you and I know the way you are and the fact that not everybody, you know, has this, the, the, the uh, I, I shouldn't say ability because everybody does have the ability, but not everyone has maybe the drive that, that you have. Um, to do, to do stuff like this, like you're rowing, <laughs> like you're prof- like not, like, is it professional rowing? I mean, it's, you, you're pretty <laughs> legit with the rowing. Yeah. I, you know, you know, I am, I am actually for another six weeks, still the reigning lightweight indoor 2K champion of the world. There you go. There you go. And I've seen your arms, man. You're like, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So, but, but so you, you, you have this killer drive to do stuff, but not everyone is as driven. I was certainly not that driven at all, as I mentioned. So how can nice makers listening zero in on their calling? So, you know, it's a really interesting question. I, I'm actually a phenomenally lazy person. And <laughs> <laughs> again, 
I am like being an introvert and people don't believe it. They don't believe that I'm lazy. And so here, like I am, I am the embodiment of Newton's, what is it? First law, third law of physics. I don't even know because I'm also uh-huh. not that smart. Um, but an, <laughs> an object in motion stays in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. So right. for me, I, I know that if I have, and this is going back to the conversation we had in the beginning, I know that if I have people to show up for, I'm going to show up. And once I show up, like I can't let them down. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, we have a we have a, a a a t-shirt on my rowing team and the back of it says for you I will. And when you're rowing in order to keep the boat steady, you're supposed to basically stare at the shoulders of the woman or the man in front of you so that you're moving back and forth at exactly the same time as them. Mm. And so you're staring at the shirt the entire time for you. I will. So when you get 750 meters in or 1500 meters into a race and you're like, I don't know if my heart's going to explode or if I'm going to vomit or like what's going to happen here, but I, I can't stop. For you, I will. And you keep going. And it's funny because I think you and I actually met the very first time when I was coming through Tennessee because I was going to Masters National. So um, yes. we met right as I was, I was, I was going to one of my, um, my, my first big Masters Nationals, uh, races. But, you know, I like way for me to sort of keep going and to do these things than me is is to completely cheat i basically <laughs> find people who are better than me and smarter than me and more driven me and i just draft off of them so i like you know i had a, a bunch of friends who were doing this crazy 75 hard um athletic challenge for the first 75 days of the new year and i was like hey if you, i guess if you're doing it, i guess i'll do it and then another one i'm like if they're doing it i guess they'll do it and now I've got like seven people and we're all like on a little group chat and we're all doing it. And so because of their energy, I was able to, you know, join in and keep going. But now I can't not do it, right? Like yeah. we're all showing up for each other. So, you know, I am, you know, our mutual friend Brent Menzoir has this great book, Black Sheep. And mm. it's like, what are the, like your traits that you just cannot change? This is like who you are in your soul. And I'm just a show up kind of person. Like community is one of my black sheep values. I just, I really believe in showing up. You know, this is again, being present, listening. There's a theme here, right? Do I have everything yes. that I'm saying yeah. is showing up. So if you're looking for your calling, like what are the things that give you momentum? What are the things that get you excited? I, I, you know, all of the things I do are pretty varied, but the theme that goes through all of them is that I don't do any of them alone. I like collaborations. I like starting businesses with other people. I like starting political action committees with other people. I like starting community groups with other people. I like doing athletic endeavors with other people. I just, I, 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 I'm able to find people who are, you know, better than me, (laughs) Mm. join in along with them and then bring people who are not as far as me along for the ride also. And so, you know, there's that, um, there's that Jim Rohn quote, like you won't, you know, like you're, you're the, you're the average of the five people you keep closest to you, which I think is true. Yeah. But there's a better one by John, um, Wooden, the famous, um, uh, college basketball coach who says, you'll never outperform your inner circle. And I think that's so good yeah. because like if, if you're constantly trying new things and learning new things and your inner circle is a little bit ahead of you, then y- you always have something to strive for. You always have to show up in a way that you, you're, you know, I made the rowing team, but in order to get in the faster boat, you have to make that boat. So like, it's like you show up every day and earn your seat every single day. I feel like every time I get on a stage, I have to earn that stage. I have to earn that audience. Every time a reader opens my book or reads my newsletter, I feel like I have to earn it. And so there's just, I think that's for me, for your nice makers out there thinking about finding your calling, like what is the thing that is so interesting to you that you're going to want to earn it every single time. And it's, this isn't like a follow your passion nonsense thing, because I think that's like, honestly, the world's worst advice. I, I often say that I think follow your passion is the, uh, the, the, the spoken word illegitimate sister of the, of the live, laugh, laugh tattoo. It's the worst (laughs) career advice ever. Because like, if you follow your passion, that says the minute something goes wrong, the minute it gets hard, the minute you screw up, well, I guess it must not be your passion because if you followed your passion, you'd be in bliss by now. Mm. I think instead, like invest in your passion because your passion's going to knock you down and pick you up and throw you around and gut you and maybe gut your bank account while you try to figure it out. But I think your passion deserves that. So if, you know, find the thing 
that gives you momentum, that gives you energy, that you love, that if you were choosing to spend your time doing something, you choose to spend your time doing that thing. Because, you know, we get all this like hustle porn, ridiculous, like crush it. But I think the truth is, is that when you do something that's a hell yes, instead Mm. of a hell no, right? Yeah. Then it turns out you end up crushing it anyway because you're so excited about it that you're willing to fall down and get up and fall down and get up and perfect your passion and not just follow it. So you're talking about like zeroing in on that thing or on something that, that you, uh, I won't say passionate, uh, but, but something that you are keen to learn more about and maybe something that you see as, as a potential, you know, like you did with law school initially. Right. Um, and then finding, and that kind of gets into that calling and then the connection is finding what you write about in your book too is, you know, about finding your tribe, right. And finding the people who can help you know, guide you and and who you can also help support as well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting connection that I I haven't made. Um, So thank you because, because uh, this is a having a little in the moment revelation here that for me, my calling wasn't actually going to law school. I thought I was going to run for office. I was going to be the first female democratic senator from the great state of Florida. And by the way, Florida, that job's still open. So like, you know, get on it. (laughs) But, but I wanted to like, I, I was this super nerdy kid growing up and now I'm just a super nerdy adult, but I was a super nerdy kid growing up who, um, I, I, I would watch the news and I was like, why, why are there people sleeping on the street? Why are people hungry? Why are gas prices what they are? Like I was like Iran hostage crisis. Like I was so righteously indignant about things that were happening that I was seeing on the news. And I'm like, somebody needs to fix these problems. How can I help? I'm going to be the one to do it. And I looked at the people in office who were the ones who were tasked with solving problems and they were all lawyers. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll become a lawyer. But I hated law school. I hated it from the minute I set foot in the very first classroom. And it took about six weeks for the full organ rejection to take its, you know, to, 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 you know, take seed in my body. And that was right about the time where uh, uh, the worst guy, the world that I was dating. Cause of course, what do you do when you're like in a self-hating moment? You date's terrible for you. He, uh, had, I joke around that he had, he had great taste in precisely two things. Uh, the first being girlfriend, obviously. And the second being <sighs> unknown presidential hopefuls from tiny Southern states. And he's like, oh, you are from campus. We're going to stop at this guy's campaign office. I want to pick up some material. And kids, if you're listening before the internet, this is how you learned about candidates. You like went to a strip mall. You went to their local office. You got a piece of paper. You read about their stances on, on topics. And in that strip mall office in Gainesville, Florida was this tiny little TV, black and white TV with then governor Bill Clinton, you know, dark hair mm. still then talking passionately, passionately about this idea. That there's nothing that's wrong with America that can't be fixed with right with America. And he offered as a policy solution service, community service in exchange for college tuition. And I went, yes, that needs to happen. And I tell this whole story in my TEDx um, where I learned the difference between how can I help and what needs to happen. And as I'm thinking about it now, as you're saying that my calling wasn't law school, my calling was always trying to put the right people in the right place so that they could solve the problems that mattered to them. And now as I'm sitting or thinking about it, I dropped out of law school to join that campaign because I was like, he needs to be in office. That needs to happen. Yeah. I ended up in the White House helping create AmeriCorps. So that did happen. Then I spent 20 years as a headhunter putting the right people in the right jobs. And now I spent the last five years, you know, with Limitless helping people get unstuck and get out of their own way so that they could do the things that matter to them. So the calling you know, it's funny. I think we all have different callings throughout our life, but I think more so the calling that you have will manifest itself in different ways at different times. And as you said, you know, going to law school is a calling. I was like, well, it was at the time. And now that I look back on it, I realize that the real calling that I have is being a matchmaker, being a networker, mm. being a connector, being somebody who gets people unstuck in this way. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad I, I was able to help you with that revelation. That's that that's fun. Uh, <laughs> like your thing, like, like you know, you thought your thing was improv. You thought your thing was comedy, right? And yeah. now you're learning that it's like about being nice, about networking, about how do you really see people and have them feel seen and heard. And when you look back on it, like improv is kind of the same thing. It's like showing up for the person who says a line, and you're not saying no, you're saying yes, and right. so that they see seen and you build on each other. So it's sort of interesting to see that pattern. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Also, a revelation for me as a Canadian is why American voter turnout has been historically, you know, pretty terrible. Um, uh, is because apparently you had to go to strip malls to learn about candidates, man. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, that's like we're getting better. That's the we're getting good to the internet. I don't know if it's that much better, but at least it's not a rally. Oh, wait. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at the time of us, well, yeah, recording this, uh, yeah, there is a rally going on. Um, but you can I, edit that out if you want. That's fine. I don't really. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm completely, uh, on the same page as you. In fact, I just, uh, tweeted a link to, uh, Ray Charles, Georgia on my mind. Um, just a little mm. while ago. So anyway, that kind of puts a timing on when we're recording this. Um, yes. So, uh, I know, I, I know, uh, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer. Um, one thing that we talked about too, or one thing we didn't talk about, but something that, uh, so you, I, I like that you, you sort of identified your interests and then you went ahead and, and started researching, like, how can you, how can you, you know, be the change you want to see? Um, and this is something that like I've always had, you know, uh, uh, deep concerns for things like homelessness and for hunger. Um, but never really besides, you know, running in a 5k or, or contributing some money here and there. Um, but I, I'm really interested in, um, effective altruism and something that I've, I've been learning more mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm. And this idea of sharing, you know, X percent of your, your wages to a specific uh, cause or a group of causes. And there's, I won't get into all the gory details of that, but, but it has helped me in, you know, this, you know, this year, 2021 to refocus my business on uh, to change it so that I am giving 10% of my wages of the, of the money that I'm earning to um, specific causes. And that this Hopefully now we're early on in the year. So we'll talk about it maybe next year or later this year to see how it went. But I'm giving myself this reason that to be, to, to go all out and to, and to sell and to earn a decent living. Um, because the more money I earn this year, the more money I can contribute to causes I care about. And I think, you know, I, I encourage listeners to consider this for their own even if it's like 1%, but just think, you know, if you're, if you're struggling in, in finding, you know, drive every day to get to work, um, consider contributing to some causes that really, that's something that you really care about. Um, and, and even print out a picture of someone who might be a recipient of said money or an, the, or the logos of the organizations and have those in front of you over your desk to remember why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's really going to help me through the year. Um, something in your book too, you mentioned, yeah. uh, was practicing gratitude. You wrote about, uh, the CEO, Larry Fish, who writes a thank you note to one of his staff every Monday morning, which I think is just a brilliant idea. Um, yeah. yeah, tell me about that a little bit. <laughs> so I remember, you know, one, one, I did a search for him for the head of his family office, his family foundation. And he, in order to get to know him ahead of time, I did some research on the internet and I found a speech that he gave at MIT where he talked about the fact that he wrote a thank you note to one of his 1000 employees every single Monday. Mm. And I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. He must be so busy. The man runs the largest bank in New England. Like mm. how, how could, like, how could he possibly do it? He was, he was the CEO of Citizens Bank at the time. And I went in and I asked him, you know, naively, I was like, how do you have time to do that? And he like put his pen down and he looked at me with a face that could only be described as pity. <laughs> say, Laura, I have a thousand employees. If I cannot find something about one of them to be thankful for, yeah. I'm not paying attention. I'm not doing my job. Right. And so, you know, I, I, what I loved about that is, you know, when you try to be intentional in your life and you try to, you know, be the change, you live the values that you want to see in the world, it starts by grooving the pattern of what you're grateful for. So if you identify five people that you think are just killing it, you think they're incredible, do a little 
research on them, write down some things that, you know, they they write about that they do on a regular basis or how they show up in the world. And, you know, maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them, but send them a tweet, send them an email, um, post about them on, on, on Instagram or what, you know, whatever you, wherever you want to, you know, post things and write about what you're grateful for about their example, about what they give you, about the mentorship. And mentorship can be personal or it could be like, I get mentorship from people I don't know. I mm. just read, I mean, I'm Dolly Parton is a mentor of mine, right? Right, right. I've never met her yet. And, um, yeah. and, and, and when you do that, practicing intentional gratitude reminds you and it puts it out there into the world that this is something that you want to focus on. And so it, it's, for me, it's about grooving that pattern and remembering who you want to be and, and what you want to, what you want to be. But I want to say one thing about what you just said about, about donating money. I think it's so important. I think, you know, most people who are listening to your podcast probably have a couple of spare bucks, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people are not like sitting in a dumpster listening to your podcast. Like they, <laughs> they ha- people have something like you might not have, you know, Jeff Bezos money, but you have something. Even if though you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure I'm about to launch this business. I, I'm, I'm, you know, got kids I got to send to college. Every dollar counts. You do also have other things. Like there are other things you can give. You can give introductions. You can highlight somebody on social media if you have a platform. You can invite them onto your podcast. You can write about them. You can, you know, post about their book. Mm-hmm. Um, please post about my book, right? There are, there are <laughs> things that you can do that you can, there, there are gifts that you can give that aren't just monetary. So sure. money is great. Absolutely give money and give money not to a specific program, but to just the organization because then they can spend it however they think they need to spend it best. Um, unrestricted funds. But if you can't give money, think about what else you have that is of value. And remember the things that are intuitive to you. You think it's just natural. You know these things. And so they're not special. They're magic to someone else. So anything that you have that you do well, whether it's easy for you or not, that's your gold. And you can just giving your gold is is valuable to someone else. That's great. That's good. Good advice for sure. Um, and I love the fact, by the way, I, I did want to plug the fact that, <clears throat> pardon me, that you're an executive coach because um, I do encourage nice bakers to reach out to you. I love that. I love, love, love your LinkedIn headline that says um, Washington Post bestselling author, keynote speaker, media personality, executive coach, and wait for it, a kick in the ass wrapped in a warm hug. I love that. I mean, it's, you know me, right? Yeah, what do you yeah, think? It's yeah. pretty accurate. Nailed it. You our our friend, uh, our friend Judson Lapley, who was the, the, yes. the, the guy who was the first YouTube star, the evolution of dance. Yes. He's, he actually came up with that line. He was introducing me at a, at an event and he said it and I was backstage and I was like, yep. <laughs> that's I love gonna it. stick <laughs> yeah that is great and it's also great that someone else called you that too i yes. mean i think it's a great one to call yourself anyway like regardless but in some in some cases you know yeah when somebody i always cringe with words like expert or guru or oh, whatever God. it's yes. like you know if somebody wants to introduce me as an expert on whatever great i'll take it but you know i always feel that like with expertise and stuff it's kind of icky to like call yourself an expert but in I, not to do with with that line that line is just brilliant so well but- you know that i i was voted last year by a organization called global gurus the number 2 uh, startup coach in the world and the number 10, uh, motivational, top motivational speaker in the world. Nice. So of course, the minute that I posted about that on social media, cause you know, that's part of the gig. You gotta like talk about these things, which is mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. a little like nauseating, but you know, it's again, part of the gig. Yep. The minute I did it, my kids who of course will cut you to shreds the second they <laughs> smell blood in the water. I came downstairs and my kids are like, isn't it? Look, look, is that, is that the global guru? Oh, Laura no. oh yeah. They just, just took me apart. So uh, yeah, I, I would much rather, <laughs> I think Judson called me the CEO of the get the hell out of your own way club and right. <laughs> kicking the ass wrapped in a warm hug. And I, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. I like it. Um, okay. Lightning round very quickly. And we'll, we'll wind Ooh, this conversation yeah. down for you. So who was someone that was especially nice to you in your career? Oh, wow. Um, Carrie Lorenz. Carrie Lorenz took my book and uh, took me to task on it. And she said, and I will not 
curse, but I, I'm going to, you know, kind of give you the idea. Can I, can I curse? Oh, can yeah. I curse? Sure. Okay. Carrie Lorenz is the first F-14, first female F-14 fighter pilot in the Navy, six feet tall, uh, pre-Olympic rower, uh, just gets on stage, like full hair, full makeup, leather dress, badass all the way. And yeah. I sent her my book. I didn't really know her. I asked her to uh, blurb it. And she called me two days later and she was like, yeah, let's talk about your book. Here's the deal. You're really fucking smart. But nice. you're too fucking smart for your book just to be – and your book is really fucking good. But you're too fucking smart for your book to just be really fucking good. It needs to be really fucking great. <laughs> and then I'll blurb the shit out of it. So go make it really fucking great. And I was like, I know. I just gave up. And then we spent 45 minutes. And we weren't friends at this point. We spent 45 minutes. The 45 minutes right before she was going to go on stage, she gave me these 45 minutes to help me figure out exactly what it was. And we figured it out. And then she introduced me to her editor. And oh, wow. because of that, my book became a bestseller. It was, it was, it was easy to read. It was, it, it just worked. Like she just, I had one little thing that I couldn't undo and I couldn't see it. And she gave me her gold and helped me, helped me get there. All right. Complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish first. Nice. What's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers? Uh, well, I mentioned, um, Brent Menswar's book, Black Sheep earlier. So I yeah. would say that one that is about figuring out who you are. And if one of your black sheep values is being nice, then do it, live into it. That is who you are. And the world, like where, where your personality, where you're nice on your sleeve and we'll all applaud your fashion sense. So <laughs> Brent Menswar's Black Sheep is the one I'd recommend. Yeah. He's a, a great guy and it's an awesome book. So good, good pick. How is Laura nice to herself? Well, um, I, I, I went to go see somebody this year because I was not sleeping and I let myself do the thing that I never want to do, which is be indulgent, self-indulgent and spoil myself. And it turns out it was the best thing that I could do for myself and the best thing I could do for my family and my friends and my business. That's great. And by the way, folks, it's very easy now to, to do an online like telehealth, uh, therapy session. There's a lot of great resources out there and it's very inexpensive. Sometimes it's covered by insurance and things. So, um, yeah, if you feel like down or whatever and you need to talk to somebody, um, you know, don't, don't hesitate with doing that because it's, it's well worth, um, well worth the investment. Good answer. And then finally, if you had a billboard, what would it say? Just get going already. <laughs> I, love I told it. my husband that's what I want on my gravestone. Like people are going to stand around <laughs> my gravestone, like, "Wow, she's dead," and I'm going to be like, "Just get going already. Like, stop it. Just keep going. Go do the thing you want to do." Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love it. How can people get a hold of you and learn more about your wonderful book and speeches and coaching and all that good stuff? Yeah. So my name is Laura Gassner Odding. It's a whole lot of name. So my good friends like you, Dave, called me LGO. Yes. So I am at Hey LGO on all the socials, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, now Clubhouse, Facebook, all of it at Hey LGO and HeyLGO.com is the shortcut to my website. So that'll get you to me. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. It was nice of you to spend some time with us today. So I really do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Well, this was super fun. Thanks so much, Dave. And I just thank you for having a podcast about being nice. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Maker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice. <laughs>